Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hi, I'm Chris LaCava. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. I'm Leslie Mitchell. Hey, I'm Bruno Berizzo. Today, we're talking about how to work within distributed teams, along with some helpful practices and approaches that we've implemented over the years as a remote-first company. Let's get started. So to start off, what exactly do we mean by distributed team? I mean, obviously there are lots of different ways that could look with some people being in an office and others being remote or working with a client that's not physically in the same space, but you sometimes go see them in person or even working across multiple time zones or even continents. And then depending on what kind of team we're talking about, how does that affect things like communication and collaboration and how to approach working within that context? Well, probably you have the different kinds that I can think of. For example, distributed on time zone is the one that we are particularly dealing with the most. Um, then you have distributed across language. That's another one that, that uh, we are dealing in a daily basis. Um, then you have distributed in the same town. Like if you have a person that is working with you, but it's not with you on, in an office. So... Um, I will think that those are more more or less how, how I, I sort those out on, in my head. Yeah. Xperia has always been distributed to a degree. Like I used to joke that when I came to work, I would, you know, hang out in an office with a bunch of people, but I didn't work directly with those people. I, would, I was working with people in Houston even before we had, you know, folks overseas. So in a, in a lot of ways, it was embedded in the culture from at least since I started that you were more or less dealing with a remote team, either within Xperia or even with our customers, we're, we're all over the place in the US and you know abroad. So a lot of my time collaborating has always been on things like Zoom or you know, whatever the du jour meeting um, you know, software was. Yeah, I'd say distributed is all of the above, right? If you're not in the same office or the same room with people, you're essentially distributed. Even if everyone was in, say, Houston, uh, if one member's in Cyprus and the other's in Sugarland and in Woodlands and then Pearland, right? That's, that's four different places that are far away in Houston, at least, uh, to where if everyone's working remotely, it's still uh, distributed and you're still dealing with those challenges of how do you do planning and conduct meetings uh, and not get Zoom fatigue and things like that, right? Uh, you're not in front of the same whiteboard and talking it out you have to find alternative ways to be productive and still get that sort of synergy. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's obvious that at least for us, and I think a lot of other people, there was some experience with kind of remote friendly work and distributed teams before COVID. But after that, everything kind of dramatically shifted to where it wasn't just, yeah, there are some groups of people that are distributed, but still generally everyone's encouraged to come into the office. And afterwards, it's a different culture, it's a different approach, there are different pros and cons. So I'm curious, you know, can we speak to some of maybe how we approached it before COVID and then some of the ways we still had to pivot and adjust because you know, after the fact, you know, we're even more so distributed, more so remote, uh, learning how to work within that system. You know, we, I feel like we had an advantage leading into it because we kind of had that culture already, but things still needed to shift. And there are still elements of meeting in person that are really, really important and kind of trying to hang on to that while still recognizing that 
yeah, there are a lot of benefits to remote work and to distributed teams. So I don't know, let's, let's kind of talk about that balance and how we've tried to strike that and some of the things we've learned in the process. Something that I, I, I think that we all learn from COVID is that we, we are much more patient with, with other people working from home. Usually before I, I had the sense that if you, have, if you are in a meeting with a client, for example, in, and you have noises in the background, was really concerning. You, you trying to mute, trying to um, just hide that you are not uh, in the right uh, environment for working. But that the, the definition of, of right environment kind of shifts a little bit. So now it's, it's okay if you are working and your kid comes in and say something and you just, you know, give it a kiss and that's it. And that's, that's much more okay now than it was before. I think that that's how I feel about that. That's exactly right. Like pre-COVID, if someone, if I was working remotely and someone walked in the room and started talking to me, then, you know, I'd still keep my face and eyes pointed towards the screen and be like, you know, uh, just <laughs> looking at the corner of my eye and like, you know, gritting my teeth and saying, I'm in a meeting, guys. And you can't see my face right now because it's a podcast. But, you know, I, I'd be doing that uh, versus now where if someone comes in, I'm like, oh, hold on one second. And then I'll go talk. To them. I might even get up and walk. And, you know, yeah. just because it's, it's normal now and uh, it, it's about time that that is normalized. Yeah. yeah. I agree. At the beginning of COVID, I had two little kids that were home all of the sudden when they were previously mm-hmm. in daycare. And uh, there were two of us working from home with only one office. So we were in different rooms. And uh, I had, you know, a few times that I had calls where my child was sitting in my lap because they were four and nine months old. So I think that that really did sort of break down some barriers where things became more friendly and more casual in a way that I think is sticking around. And I think that it allows for, I think just better communication overall because you're in a friendlier mindset. It's not so official and formal. Yeah. And then coming back to your question, Johnny, of like what things did we sort of feel helped us through COVID that we had learned pre-COVID, right? Uh, And so as Chris had mentioned, uh, we always have been, sort of a, a remote first company. It's, it's in our DNA. Uh, it's how we've operated well before the pandemic. Uh, and uh, that really helped when the pandemic rolled around because it was like, okay, let's just do what we've been doing, uh, but just don't come into the office for a while. And like our culture and encouragement of openness and uh, talking freely, uh, you know, I tell everyone Slack is our lifeline because we are a remote company, right? And so be sure to use that to communicate, 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 uh, stay in touch, give updates, post jokes, do whatever, right? It helps us stay connected, even though we're all all over the place. Uh, and that is one tool that's really helped. I vividly remember that transition when they told us, hey, bring your computer home and your monitor home. And just to, just to test it out and see if, you, if you're okay working from home. And then that was, we basically didn't go back to the office after that. But I feel like the company as a whole transitioned very seamlessly. And I think that's because we figured out this whole remote work distributed team dynamic. And, um, you know, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on with COVID, obviously. And the points that Leslie and Bruno made around there being a little bit more empathy around, you know, people having to juggle a lot of stuff at home definitely came into play as well. But I feel like at least internally to Xperia, we rolled with that stuff really quickly. Um, you know, just to underscore what Kareem was saying, we were already kind of geared up to do it anyway. 
So I think a good follow-up question for that though, is like, why was Xperia already set up in that kind of more remote friendly way? Because it, it obviously comes with more hurdles you have to jump through. And, you know, before COVID, we weren't anticipating that needing to be the case for everyone. Um, so I'm kind of curious if we can kind of speak to what made it worth it beforehand uh, that made that transition easier. Great, smart people, like find great people anywhere they are, uh, regardless of location, right? And so that's what has led us, even from the get-go, to really just embrace the, the remote culture and say, you know what, you don't live here and you don't have plans to move, but we still really like you. Would you like to come work for us? And uh, that's why we had doubled down uh, on, on that sort of uh, initiative. And that is also something that many companies have figured out during COVID. Uh, and now they're like, hey, you know what? You don't have to be bound to the office in this city. Let's go hire from everywhere, which I won't lie, has made recruiting harder because now everyone's doing it. They, they've caught on to what we've been doing. Um, but uh, that is one of the benefits of not restricting yourself to you know, a particular location. Yeah, there's another benefit if we look at how your workday um, happens in the timeline that things are done. One of the projects that I'm on has people in six different time zones across the globe, and we have to adjust when we have meetings. So we alternate weeks. Sometimes they're in uh, central time zone morning. Sometimes they're in central time zone afternoon because we have people in Europe and we have people in Oceania. So we have to account for the many different time zones. And there's a lot of hurdles that come along with that because you don't have certain people that really ever see the other side of the world at the same time. But the benefits that come from that are that the development team, the work happens in more than eight hours every day. So one team is starting as they're sort of wrapping their day, another team is picking up and starting their day. And so they can hand things off and it feels a little bit more like a continual flow than here's where we ended today and here's where, we're, where we'll start tomorrow. So if there are things like bugs for a demo, you can say, okay, this team knows about it early. They can start while other people are sleeping. And if they're not able to finish, those that wake up at the end of their day can take over and finish. And you have more opportunity in that 24 hour period than you would if everybody was in the same eight hour window. Yeah, we're in a similar situation as Leslie described where we've got people working on stuff in Europe, but then the customer is in New Zealand. So we have that same kind of dynamic and you can turn that weakness into a strength, exactly what Leslie said, like you can get basically around the clock focus on things. And um, as long as you manage that overlap, then you can you can basically inform the next shift of, of the things that need to happen. And by the time you wake up and come in in the morning, a lot of questions that you had are answered and you just hit the ground running. It's just It's just all about getting that cadence right. And a lot of times, to do that, everyone's just gonna shift their time an hour or two. So I'll start work a little bit earlier, make sure that I overlap a little bit more with Europe and maybe stay a little bit later or someone else will stay a little bit later to make sure there's a couple hours of overlap with New Zealand. And if there's a little bit of continuity, then I think that uh, makes all the difference in the world and you, you find that cadence that Leslie was describing. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because, you know, there are obviously, like you were saying, benefits to having that kind of staggered approach where there's the overlap between people who are in different time zones. But I think it's also worth noting that there is a certain level of 
quality communication that needs to happen there that you need to account for. And, you know, it gets back to the pros and the cons of that distributed team mindset and some of the challenges there. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. Like, how can you ensure that that handoff goes smoothly, that those things are communicated clearly? Yeah, I think I think part of it is communication for sure. Um, part of it is, like I said, shifting time a little bit. So there's a, a, a bit of overlap to, to cover um, that continuity. But then also, I think it's a cultural thing, like a company culture thing, where um, we've got developers, for example, in Europe that are um, very adept at unblocking when they don't have all the answers. So they exercise really good judgment on moving stuff forward without you know the ability to kind of call someone up at that moment and get and get all the answers and so they're able to kind of navigate some of that ambiguity and know that if they do kind of take a a little bit of a gamble and try to extend something that they don't have all the answers for that it's not so far ahead before they talk to people and, and inform them and so i think like there's a certain company culture aspect to it and it's just a uh, sensibility is particularly with engineers, but I think you can kind of make the same statement for designers or project managers or whoever, but it's that kind of mentality where I'm, I could sit here and be blocked for half a day, or I could uh, try to move this thing forward and then just communicate basically what the, what my assumptions were and and how I moved it forward and what the, what the alternatives are. Yeah. I, I'm also trying to deal with, with this in my current project um, because I have I have to lay, lay out work for people that is uh, ahead of me on, on the clock. So every, every day I try to use the last hour or two hours of my day to make sure that the people that is coming after me tomorrow has a clear picture of what's left. So uh, as you said, Chris, you, there, there is a big component that, that we, we all agree on this um, unspoken contract for putting away that you always try to make progress and, and do safe assumptions about the things that you don't know. But I try anyway to minimize that, that surface so the people that need to make the assumption doesn't fall off on, on, on a big problem because of, of the road assumption. So the, there is a, a component there that is just make sure that if you are in charge of unblocking other people, just put that uh, as a priority for the next day so you, you're not blocking anyone. I think it's interesting hearing the two of you explain that because Xpiro in particular tends to hire people who take initiative, who are self-starters, who are able to make those kind of decisions. And so I think that allows us to have these distributed teams be successful and for us to continue working in that way with so many different time zones. If you didn't have that type of team and that type of culture, it would be a lot harder to make a distributed team across the globe be successful. So it helps that Xperio kind of seeks out those people and those people find Xperio. So what you're saying is if you're a self-starter who likes working from home, we're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but that, that's a great point. I think, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's something to be said for in order for distributed teams to work, you need to have the right people in place. And that's yeah. people doing the work, but also people organizing the work and planning the project and setting up those systems for communication. So 
it's not a single like, oh, well, if you do this one thing, your distributed team will work well. It's, it's a team effort and it also has a, you know, a lot to do with the company culture and the, the overall approach. Um, I'm, I'm also just kind of curious what some of the, I don't know, there, there are obviously benefits like we've talked about, like you get smart people from all over the world, you get people who enjoy getting to work from home and spend time with their family, but also get to work on cool projects. But there are also obviously like pitfalls that you need to avoid and challenges that come with it. I'm, I'm kind of curious, kind of just some of those things to keep an eye out for and maybe ways to address them that y'all have seen. I think the biggest one is just being mindful of different time zones, because I think historically, especially U.S.-based companies have taken advantage of people that are remote in other time zones, it, whether it's in the U.S. or, or abroad, where whatever the critical mass is, nine to five business hours, everyone's just kind of, co uh, you know, coalesces around that. And if there's an emergency, no matter what time it is in some of those other places, those people are expected to respond to that. And, you know, some of that is unavoidable, but it should be the exception, not the rule. And it, I think um, it's a lot less effort than you might think to just kind of keep an eye on where everyone's time zone is. I, I have it in my calendar, for example. And I know if I send something at, you know, noon, my time, it might be, you know, it's five or six in places in Europe and someone might be having dinner with their family, but I know they'll answer me if I send that Slack message. So I'm, I'm mindful not to do that um, unless it's a huge emergency. And by the same token, um, like I mentioned before, I, I get up a little bit earlier just so I can have I can answer some of those questions that have built up, you know, over the course of of my evening and my early morning. And I think if you just if you just make those micro adjustments and just have a little bit more, I guess, awareness of it, then it makes it it just takes a lot of the edge off of the stress of having to be so, um, you know, responsive no matter what the time is. And also in that same vein, take advantage of scheduling messages. I mean, you can do it in most mm. any chat app or whatever. So you can ask somebody who's already done with their day a question. You don't have to worry about remembering it later, but you can schedule it to send in their morning the next day. Yeah. And, and we say, hey, don't respond outside of your sort of normal working time. But there's just so much activity that happens in the U.S., you know, in the afternoon, and you're all constantly sending, sending messages that, you know, people that where they're, it's their evening time, they still feel like they should respond, right? Uh, you know, they don't have to, they feel like they should. And it's, it's just amazing because I'm guilty of that too, right? I'll send messages in my afternoon, like it's 1 p.m., right? And I'll send messages. But, uh, you know, having been in Tenerife just recently, it's like, hey, that means it's 7 p.m. their time. That's late. I am checked out already and like visiting Garachico and uh, uh, La <laughs> and all that stuff and, you know, eating ice cream on the beach and stuff at that point. So, you know, I, I don't want to feel obligated to pull out my phone and start replying. And so, yeah, just being mindful that even though they don't have to, they may still feel like they need to if they're getting a lot of messages um, uh, just helps be respectful of their time. I think another thing in, other than time is language that Bruno brought up um, earlier. Mm. There are a couple of teams where I am one of two out of a team of six or seven native English speakers and everybody else is a native Spanish speaker. And sometimes it's very clear that a point or a conversation, especially one that's highly technical, would be more beneficial to be had in Spanish. And 
I'm always not in a way that it's that it's rude to say, hey, if you want to speak in Spanish, go for it. But in a way that it facilitates communication, like, hey, just give me the the summary when you're done. Go ahead and <laughs> chat, you know, have the chat in the way that you need to have it and and then tell me what the takeaway is. That's fine, because as an American and as a native English speaker, we can take for granted the fact that it's not somebody's native tongue and it's not as easy to communicate things in as quick of a manner as it might be. So allowing for that to happen, I think helps a lot as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never thought about that that way. That's a, that's a, a really nice idea. Um, I, I feel that language barrier sometimes when I try to, uh, well, in two situations mostly, when, when I'm too tired, like Fridays afternoons, my English is like, isn't dying. <laughs> And the other one is when I try to explain something and I, I, I put myself in a place that I cannot leave because I know I don't have the words to, to say, okay, get back. And, and but I, I, now I learn how, more or less how to do it. But I, I remember being earlier in my career, trying to deal with this and was super frustrating, but super, well, you see, uh, <laughs> I was really frustrated because I, I, I have the ideas, but I cannot tell anybody. <laughs> so even when you're, you're kind of fluent on, on, on the language is, is still there. You, you can feel it sometimes. And it's important to, to even we have people that is not like uh, Spanish speakers that are in, in other places in Europe. And the accents are sometimes hard to, to follow. I have this, this problem with uh, other people more, more to the East that I, I need to make an extra effort to understand. And they notice and they try to, to adjust the accent so everyone can speak English and, and, and have a common language. So that, that's there. It's like a, the elephant in the room sometimes. You, you, we all take for granted that the English is the language that we all understand, um, but there, there is this adjustment that is constantly happening on the conversation so everyone can, can uh, understand. So yeah, that, that's something that is always, always going on. We need to, to deal with it all the time. Yeah. So being patient, repeating what you said maybe a couple of times, talking yeah. slowly, like native, English speakers might start talking very, very quickly, right? And then other sites can't, you know, figure out what's going on because they're trying to translate on the fly, right? So maybe just slowing down a little bit uh, and, you know, saying things, saying at least important things a couple of times, making sure everyone understands before moving forward, that type of stuff. The yeah. other thing that we've done, um, one of the projects where I'm the only English speaker and everybody else speaks Spanish, we have in Zoom, we use the live translate um, and so it will do a pretty decent job of writing down the words that I'm saying as I'm speaking. So those that have a harder time picking up on Audible uh, can read it. Uh, and that has helped a lot on that project as well. Yeah, I was going to say that's a huge thing. Like if there's stuff that needs to be clearly communicated and there is a language barrier, either like using planning software or just like having a document where you can go and say, here are the goals and kind of refer back to that, having something to rally around rather than trying to remember, oh, did I, did I mishear that? Did I, mm. do I want to make sure that, and, and that can still happen alongside the conversation. You're taking notes as you're talking or whatever and making sure everyone has access to that. But yeah, having, having just like a source of truth, you know, is that much more needed when there is that language barrier for sure. Yeah, I find myself, um, and this is this is a general statement, not just to people where English isn't their first language. I talk really fast sometimes, especially like when I'm in a rush or I'm excited about something. 
And I'll often use words that are jargony or unclear. And I've noticed in general, if I just slow down a little bit and talk a little bit more simpler, that everyone understands me better. And, um, you know, a lot of times we're moving so fast that people won't stop and say, hey, can you explain that again? Because I didn't quite catch it. Um, but I think like this is probably even a more acute issue if there's a, a lot of people on your team that don't speak English as a, as a first language, even though everyone at Xpero, their command of English is amazing. But uh, even still, I mean, there's, there's always those words that are a little bit weird or uncommon, or if you're just speaking quickly, then a lot of people don't pick up things. And I think that's the case for English speakers, but probably especially the case for um, English as a second language folks. I think one other thing that we've tried to do on the teams that I'm on is to keep it fun. So there are a lot mm. of like colloquialisms or idioms that people might say and not even realize it. And we'll kind of pause and say, well, how do you say that in Spanish? Or what's something similar? And then we kind of laugh and joke about the different ways that we would convey the same expression. I think one recently was bad news travels fast was what I said in English and the Spanish version transliterated to English was something like short legs, something or another. It was hilarious. And it was, you know, it was a great way to kind of communicate the differences between us, but also, you know, bond us as a team a little bit. Now we have this, you know, running joke. Running joke with short legs. <laughs> now you're in on the joke as well. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I belong. This is great. <laughs> I, think, I think that's one other kind of getting into the cultural differences thing that's worth noting. You know, it's easy, especially, you know, I'm based in the U.S. and, you know, kind of expect certain things based on time zone and when I work and all that kind of thing. But I think it's worth noting, you know, we have people in North America and South America and Asia and Europe who all have slightly different approaches to when they work and we have you know there are people who their their routine is well I, I get up later in the day and I work mostly in the evening my free time is in the morning and just recognizing oh there are different approaches to that and just like having that open communication so people know what to expect from each other uh, and not making those assumptions I think is a really big deal and just just kind of important to keep top of mind it, it, you know it comes down to just empathy and recognizing that all right people may be approaching their workday differently or their workflow differently and uh, just recognizing like, hey, we're all, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to work on the same stuff. Let's figure out how we can work together well and do it in a way that we all, you know, it's compatible with our way of life. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we, also we... communicating sort of a standard window that you will be available is important mm -hmm. as well. So knowing that people can work whenever they want, but saying, I will always be available at between you know nine and noon central time or something that allows for meetings to be scheduled more easily um, for problems where you might need to pair or bugs or that sort of communication knowing when each member of the team is always available is important to allow for the flexibility outside of those windows yeah ha having that overlap is uh important and critical so you can you know have those meetings uh face to face or like you know, Zoom to Zoom, um, but it's, we should also stress that it's important to have that focus time, uh, which, you know, sort of distributed teams gives you that may go unnoticed. And it's actually a benefit because having that focus time lets you really drill into what the work you need to get accomplished, especially this day of Zoom fatigue, right? Uh, when we were in uh, Tenerife, it was like, 
hey, the morning hours were just so quiet. It was like zen, right? You can get anything done that you wanted. And then, you know, uh, and then you'd know when the U.S. woke up because that's when all the meetings started, right? Uh, and so it, just, it's, it, was, it was just amazing the experience. Uh, and having both is actually uh, very beneficial. Yeah, those mornings are glorious. <laughs> Before I was involved with Europe and Oceania, I used to have afternoons at that quiet time. <laughs> now that I'm in the middle, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it does allow for focus time. That is definitely a benefit of having disparate time zones on a project. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I think Kareem, you kind of mentioned this already, but Zoom fatigue, I think, is a very real thing to kind of be aware of. And I think sometimes in an effort to try to create more of a feeling of, well, we're distributed, but we're still meeting together, you can you can go too far overboard and you know have too many meetings on the calendar and everyone's always worn out and exhausted and feels like they can't really be fully present because they've been on five other meetings already and it's only noon. I know it's a bit of a balancing act, but I'm curious just y'all's thoughts on how to approach that, recognizing the benefits of either meeting on Zoom or even trying to find ways to meet in person when possible, but also balancing that with not taking it too far to the point where it brings people out or wears people out. Is a common pitfall initially when teams are switching from fully in-person to remote is they start seeing people not as people that they saw in person in the office anymore they start seeing people as their calendars, right? Like you, you are, a, you know, uh, uh, sort of beholden by your calendar. And when someone's seeing you, they're just pulling up your calendar, not your face or anything like that. Uh, you know, hey, here's an empty slot that you have 15 minutes. All right, I'm going to take it, uh, that type of thing. And so it's, you have to be careful not to fall into that trap because everyone needs some breathing time to recover from previous meetings, go grab a snack, uh, me, uh, you know, grab several snacks uh, and then go to the bathroom <laughs> and then grab some more snacks. Um, so just, you know, it's something to, to be cognizant of. I feel like there's a, a few different approaches that you could take. One is just personal time management and guarding your own calendar within the context of whatever team you're on. There should be probably a two or three hour window that you know that that's when meetings are scheduled and then you try not to schedule them outside of that. That's what we try to, at least the projects I'm on, that what we try to stick to is say, we know that between the hours of 8.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. Central is when we'll book all of our meetings for this project. And then outside of that, um, we'll do async. And that tends to help. Yeah, I think that, that for my team or, or my last three teams, uh, what we try, we, we prioritize asynchronous conversations over Zoom uh, as, as a standard rule. I'm not sure why, honestly, <laughs> probably because the people that I'm working with are more comfortable writing that um, jumping in a call. But um, if we can address the thing that we need to address in a conversation in Slack, that's the preferred, uh, preferred approach. And if we try that and that doesn't work, then we jump in a meeting. But it's not, we, we don't usually use Zoom as the default, unless the conversation involves multiple people and the subject is complex enough, we try to keep it asynchronous. Yeah, and I think one thing that particularly we should note though, that we try to do at Expira to kind of create that sense of community is 
when it is possible to get it together in person. So, you know, it may be that there's a small group of people all relatively close in a city and just trying to create opportunities to get lunch together or work together, whether that's like in a WeWork or like a library or coffee shop, or if there is an office in that area, just trying to create those opportunities where you are able to interact with other people who you work with, or maybe who you don't work with and you can learn from. But then on top of that, you know, we make a special effort to get everyone in the, in the company, at least as many people as possible together physically, at least once a year for our summit and getting to get that face time with people who, you know, maybe I've worked with for an entire year and my only interactions have been over Zoom and over Slack. And there's something really special about that in-person time where you just get to know someone in a deeper level and a deeper way that's really, really important. And that time together in person makes the asynchronous conversations and the distributed working together process that much stronger because you have that foundation to build off of. And I, th I think that's something that's really, really important. And we, we definitely uh, can't emphasize enough that you know, being distributed is not a bad thing, uh, but kind of having that hybrid approach where you're also able to get FaceTime uh, and get that time together when possible is really important. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And something that Kareem said early on that I think he, he said it in passing, but I think it, it um, it's good to restate it is that I haven't found anyway, a replacement for a whiteboard. Like there are a lot of, um, you know, online versions of it, but there's something about like standing in a room with, with people and scribbling on the wall and talking about stuff that doesn't happen over Zoom. And I'm not sure you can compensate for it for sure, but there is, there is something about that experience when you're working through hard problems. And, you know, usually the stuff that ends up being drawn on a whiteboard is unintelligible. It's usually throwaway type stuff, but <laughs> it's the, the fact that you have it. I've, if you look through my phone, I've got a million pictures of random whiteboard stuff, but I can tell you probably most of those pictures, exactly what we were talking about, even though no one could ever read the stuff that's on the whiteboard. I, wherever, however it happens, it's like, you know, pinned into my memory, what, what we were talking about. And if people were excited about talking about that in, in a particular situation or, if like there was contention around a certain discussion and for whatever reason that that stuff doesn't happen as as easily anyway online when you're trying to compensate with um whatever you know whatever kind of program would replace that yeah and i also feel that when working with clients when you meet with the client even if you're just having dinner or whatever you understand a lot of the other uh, interactions that you have later with it it's kind of strange. It's probably something that is the nature of the human communication. From that point forward, any other conversation will be much smoother if you meet the person face-to-face -face at least one time. And of course, it's the same with your teams. Um, we try to, to make at least once in a month, just get together and do some whatever so we, we can just chat about life because we know that that has a big impact moving forward on the communication even if you, we don't ever see again. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why, you know, Johnny was bringing up the summit where we all get to get together. We also have our, our mini summits, which are regional get togethers, which help a lot. And I feel like as a company, as we're growing, we're starting to have more spontaneous sort of get togethers and groupings 
of people because not only are we distributed uh, across time zones and continents, but also projects. So we might have a coworker that we've never actually worked with and having these location-based lunches or uh, get-togethers or whatever really helps you to get to know the people that you work with because it's important to, to have that sort of company culture that Chris was talking about earlier, even though we're on many different projects having those opportunities to meet in person allows us to feel like one company. But what Bruno said, I think is interesting. And he, um, in that, that in-person meeting doesn't necessarily have to be that often to be effective. It's just kind of like you, you once you establish that connection with that person, then that goes a long way for a long time. And something I think of uh, a lot, uh, especially when he was talking about it is there is a team member that on, on our team, who, you know, I work with every day and talk to him every day, you know, it's in the context of standups and going over requirements or whatever. And I feel like we have a really good connection and a good, good uh, rapport. But when I met him in person, what I didn't realize until then was he is hilarious. <laughs> he's just got a really dry <laughs> sense of humor that never comes out. It's really, he's really soft-spoken, um, but man, is he funny. And once once we kind of made that connection, every other interaction I've had since then has been a little bit different, um, maybe even a little bit more effective. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's those things that come across um, in person that get muted when you're on, you know, Zoom or whatever. It also spurs different ideas. Like this person's talking about their project that I have nothing to do with. And they're taking this approach. And it's like, oh, you know what? My problem's kind of similar. I can actually learn from that. Show me what you're doing. Right. And, uh, you know, coming back to the point of, you know, the spurring conversation, there is uh, something to be said, as Chris said, of like just hanging around a whiteboard. Right. Maybe that's just the way we're wired or at least our generation is wired in that uh, things just happen more organically. It reminds me of a conversation from just this morning, uh, which I wouldn't have had if I wasn't you know, in the office today. Uh, but basically, we had some people go to an onsite for a project. And they've been talking past each other for several months now. I was like, oh, this might be a little difficult to do. But when they all got in the same room, one part of the client told the other part of the client that, oh, hey, we already have most of this stuff. So this would be very easy. And that could have been an easy conversation. But everyone has been so busy that they just never got into the same room to you know, sit down and talk it out. And all of a sudden, just having people together uh, solve the problem and made it a lot easier than everyone thought it would be. So what we're saying here is that it's still best and beneficial to be in person, but there are ways that doing that on a sort of regular basis or some sort of interval or cadence allows the distributed teams to, to still function successfully. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all about balance, right? One way or the other, what we're saying is one way or the other, if you go full extreme, is not as good as having some sort of balance uh, because there are still times when in-person is needed and yet there are still lots of benefits to being remote and distributed uh, and you know you shouldn't abandon that and so how do you continue to make that successful and make it feel like a team like a company and so things we can adopt there are sort of running contests we we often do contests you know, a Halloween or Christmas decoration contest or, you know, March Madness or Super Bowl or 
things like that that bring everyone together on sort of equal footing at the company and say, hey, everyone participate. We encourage you, and then everyone gets into it. Uh, and then there's prizes and things that uh, you know awards based on that that are given out, uh, and it just helps unite the company and continue to make it feel like it is you know one company, even though we may be on different projects. Different continents, things like that. You know, it's it's just a unified culture. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experiowink.com or on Twitter at experiowink. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you next time. As we speak, Bruno is probably ready for dinner. <laughs> we couldn't possibly record an episode about distributed teams if we were all in the same time zone. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been our own. Yeah. Here's a funny Good. story. Um, when when people started going back into the office at, in Austin, you know, John, me and Johnny worked together. We're on the same team. And so we, we talk a ton, but he was often in the Austin office and I would come in every once in a while and I'd seriously go into the Austin office and come home and say, were you in the office today? And never, <laughs> never saw him. So like, we were so accustomed to working remotely that even when right. we were in, we didn't realize it. Yeah. It, prob- it was probably like four or five times in a row that like we ha- found out after the fact we were both there and didn't even see. And it's not a big office. It's just, you know, yeah. just slacking, so each, we slacking each other, like in the next room. Thank <laughs> you.